in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brian Fry from the Lilac City in Spokane, Washington. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Good evening, folks. Thanks for joining us tonight. And coming to you from the Lone Star State, from deep in the heart of Texas, Dallas, Texas, returning for a second time, you heard him on the Bullet episode, it's your special guest, Mr. Chris Shreve. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Glad to be here. Well, we got a fifth element in this movie today, so let's break the ice and ask ourselves, what is your favorite fifth movie in a franchise or series of movies? Chris. My favorite, and it was an easy choice for me, was Fast Five, the fifth installment of the Fast and the Furious series. It still has the cars, has only a little taste of the crazy, you know, that comes in later. Just just my favorite overall of the entire series. So, yeah, Fast Five. Brian, how about you? What's your favorite fifth movie? I went with X-Men First Class here. I also think it's the best in the X-Men Greater Mutant film. Mm, that's a good pick. My favorite's probably going to be You Only Live Twice. It's a, uh, it, it, it involves James Bond, Sean Connery dressing up in full-blown yellow face and impersonating an Asian person. And, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely some cultural things that might not be viewed as, as sensitive today. You'd have to give it one of those Disney Plus warnings of, uh, you know, some of these things in this movie might need to have a discussion today about. So, But it's also still a really fun movie, and I really enjoy it still, so... Just racist. It's fun. Just a just a hint of racist. <laughs> just a hint of racist. You got Donald Pleasance as Blofeld. You got the volcano layer there. Tiger Tanaka is awesome. I have fun with this movie. So I'll admit, I really enjoy that one too. So I was giving you a hard time to give you a hard time, but it, it is. You know, it's Bond. It is. And what is the last movie you saw, Chris? Yeah, the last movie I saw was actually this past weekend. I snuck out to go see John Wick Four, uh, which is. A lot of fun, a lot of crazy action. Uh, it's definitely, uh, if if you can call something becoming Fast and the Furious-ized, you know, it gets <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. Um, you know, there's there's really good action cinematography in there. You know, awesome single take you know, of a shootout in an abandoned building from above as uh, John Wick works his way through. It's it's just it's a really really cool movie. He keeps going. He keeps going. He's now surpassed Liam Neeson for Taken movies. So with John Wick's movies. So, uh, you know, he's has he become the quintessential revenge guy? Could be. I'll tell you what. It, the number of nut shots in the movie are just insane. It's, it's they, they just keep leveling that oh. up every movie and they don't they don't stop on this one. I know that they've already greenlit a John Wick five, but it's called the ballerina. Maybe, you know, if it's not another man as a as a protagonist, then maybe the nut shots just continue to rise. <laughs> it gets far worse than just a nut shot. Brian, hopefully something more comfortable just to even mention. What is the last movie you saw? I'm probably in danger of mentioning this more than in more than one podcast, but it is really one of my favorite espionage movies. My last movie was Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy with Gary Man. 
my last movie that I saw, I actually saw two movies and they split the same movie into two pieces, which I don't like doing. Hunger Games, Mockingjay, part one and part two. Never saw it. Never got around to it. Finally finished off the series. Netflix gave me one of those deadlines, like watch it before the end of the month. And I was like, I'll respond to your urgency. You know, don't split movies. Let's just start by saying that. This should have been one movie. If you were sat down and had to watch every second of King Jay from end to end, part one and part two, would that be more acceptable? No, I really think part part one has a lot of superfluous stuff. I mean, it, we're talking beyond director's cut. So, no, I just, I just don't think. Okay. I, I just genuinely, lots of content I don't need. It didn't roll up my socks. My socks are not rolled up. So, but... Let's talk about a movie that does excite me. Today, we are covering which movie, Chris? Uh, we are covering The Fifth Element. The Fifth Element stars Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Ian Holm. And I'm, I'm going to try and do better with this one because this is my I've been mispronouncing her name for much of my life. So Mila Jovovich and Chris Tucker. It's released in 1997. It's budgeted for $90 million, which is a lot of money. It's the most expensive movie made in Europe, most expensive non-American movie made to date at this point when it was made. It grosses $63 million domestically, which that doesn't sound like a huge return, but globally it's $263.9 million. So it is a very good success. It places at 26th on the box office. It comes in just behind in and out which is not the kind of movie you might be thinking it would be with a title like that. And ahead of Mouse Haunted at 27th. So. The number one movie in 1997 was Titanic. And we have covered Titanic, so check out episode 103 for that. And IMDb gives The Fifth Element a 7.6. The critic score of Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 71%. The audience likes it a little bit more at 86%. It is an Academy Award nominee for Best Sound Editing. does not win. And the BAFTAs also make it a winner for Best Visual Effects. It's a three-time Caesar Award winner, which I was not as familiar with these, but it gets a Best Cinematography Director and Production Design for them. It is a Golden Raspberry nominee. The raspberries are the ones you don't want, the bad actors. So Worst Supporting Actress was given a nomination for Mila Jovovich and Worst New Star to Chris Tucker. Boo! That's awful. That's, yeah. that's Boo, a bad, raspberries. That's a yeah. Boo. I, Shame on you. Thank you, Brian and Shame. Chris, for saving me the trouble because these are bad nominations. So mtv movie award nominee for best fight and it is a four-time saturn award nominee which this just seems like something a saturn awards would have loved i don't know why it didn't win but it got best science fiction film best supporting actress for mila jovovich <laughs> so uh best cause i i applaud your you keep keep fighting the good fight man like, i'm with you i've mispronounced her name my entire life and it this is an uphill struggle it is it is if you have listened to the Ronin episode, I think it was, that Brian and Chad and Dustin all struggled with Jean Reno's name. And it was uh, Gene Reno. Was I, I said, I don't want to create a new Gene Reno in this episode. So, um, Chris, had you seen The Fifth Element before? I have, but actually sitting down to watch this entire thing, I realized I've never owned the movie before this. And I don't think I'd ever seen the full movie. I watched it and I had never seen the first like 15 minutes of this thing i think it's just one of those things where oh. it came on tnt and i just started watching it right right to yes. the end but i never saw the start <laughs> that happens that that happens a lot with tnt movies too 
Like I'm one of those people. So Chris, what's it like actually taking it in at one time? I was surprised, right? I was like, holy, they actually, there's some exposition up front that tells you what's going on. Cause every time before it's, you know, <laughs> I, you know, you just sort of get on this ride and it's like, all right, this is cool. There's these stones, whatever. I, I had never actually seen any of the beginning part, had no idea that there was some sort of, yeah. I, well, I don't want to get into the plot before we, uh, before we go to spoilers, but yeah, it was, it before was enjoyable. Now, Brian, how about you? Had you seen the fifth element before? I think there was a point in time in my life I would have called the guilty pleasure, but now it's just, nope, I love this movie. Everybody can deal with it. This movie's awesome. Yeah, this is not a guilty pleasure for me either. This is a pleasurable pleasure. So I take it you saw this and it's holding up well for you. I have to think that I saw this in theaters. It's definitely my type of movie. It's my type of cast. It's an incredible film. I cannot tell you accurately the first time or where I saw it, but I would think that this is something I went out of my way to in theater. And I did not get this at the time when it came out in 97. I had this weird thing of like, I think Bruce Willis is overrated. Why? Because I'm 13 and I don't know anything about movies at the time. I just hadn't seen Die Hard and I just hadn't seen the right movies. And so, you know, when this came out, I was like, eh, I don't need that. And... A couple of people mentioned it was good, but then my uh, wife, or my girlfriend at the time, Mary, she put this one in front of me and said, this is fun. And we watched it in college in my freshman year, and I had a blast with this thing. I watched it with, I had consecutive roommates in three years in a row who just loved this movie. This movie was on. This is a college movie for me, which is ironic because it's probably maybe even six, seven, eight years after it came out. I got to it late. It held up for me, though. It's a good sign when it holds up to you when you get to it late. That means it's holding up well, and I think it's holding up incredibly well, unless you just don't like fun. (laughs) We're going to spoil this movie and get right into it, so we will be back after these messages. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, Brian, for those who haven't seen The Fifth Element since 1997, or for people who have only seen bits and pieces of it on TNT, do you want to refresh people's memories? So it's the 23rd century, and the galaxy is threatened evil. Not an evil, just evil. And it comes in the guise of an amorphous planetoid fireball that eats missiles and swallows ships on its way to destroy Earth. Our only hope is a weapon consisting of four stones that align around a supreme being with element to stop it. After an attack on the supreme being shipped by the henchman of the galaxy tycoon Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, the remnants of the supreme being are reconstituted by the military in order to ascertain where the stones are. 
escapes their custody to fall quite literally into the hands of ex-Special Forces Commando Corbin Dallas, who, after meeting her, has his world flipped upside down. He is re-enlisted by the military to commission to recover the stones while protected, protecting her or being protected by Lilu, the element herself. After retrieving the stones and teaming with radio host and all-around ridiculous person Ruby Rod, bringing them back to Earth. There, Lilu needs a reason to stop all the death and suffering, prompting Corbin to pronounce his love for her and saving the universe. Wow. Well done, well done. So, Chris, fifth element. There's not a lot of movies like this, are there? No, the closest thing I could think of that's sort of similar, just in sort of shape, is like Starship Troopers, right? Where it's just a canny yeah. sci-fi romp. I was thinking yep. of Guardians of the Galaxy, but still, there are not a lot of these out there. Yeah, it's just the, the whole winking at the audience that Starship Troopers does a little bit more. But yeah, it's this is it's a lot of fun. But you're right. I think if you're going to compare like satire mixed with action the way this does i do think you're right that starship troopers is the the closest similar movie yep what we have here luke Besson stated that the element is not a big theme movie it's not a thinker it's not it's got, got a lot to chew on and although the themes was important he wanted the viewers to reach the point where lilo states what's the point of saving one life when you see what you can do with it and you kind of agree with her but this movie is, I think this is a derogatory term sometimes for some movies, but it's a popcorn flick. It's just fun, isn't it? No, it is. I, if I had one sort of, I mean, it's, I, I don't know that for a popcorn flick, it does try to get a little bit preachy on, you know, war is bad and love solves all problems at the end. And it doesn't really fit, I don't think, as much. But I mean, if you just kind of just, oh, it's just fun, you know? It's awfully late when they even introduce that yeah. into there too. Like you're, you're on the way out at that point. Yeah. Brian, we have the same bad guy from Green Lantern. Why does it work here? <laughs> <It's>, it's just... <laughs> I really think with this movie, I, I agree that, that it can be watched as that popcorn flick, but I think that if you do look a little deeper than just the flamboyancy of the film, this is a richly made popcorn film. Just from the effort that both the cast and crew made to make it feel real, like with the language that Lilu speaks is something they actually could for the film. I do think that there is some very good underlying principles in this film that are brought up and it almost becomes more of an Easter egg film that if you understand, you know, some aspects of, of religion, politics, economics, and that sort of thing, I think more you can get out of this if you're paying attention. But if you're not, you still can enjoy it for also what it is. Yeah, I think this is a refreshing movie. Am I wrong in saying science fiction movies at this point in time are not optimistic? They tend to be dark, post-apocalyptic. I mean, in a post-Blade Runner world, I mean, and certainly by this point, most futures don't look like places you'd really want to live. That's not the case for The Fifth Element, is it? No, it's not. Actually, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just the wide the opening up to this this version of New York that just is, it's it's actually bright, right? And sure, they get down into the fog in the beginning, which, again, was not part of the uh, original experience that I had watching the movie because I never caught that part before. But, you know, it's generally just things are good. And it doesn't have like a, well, the government, right? The government, you know, the president and, and the whole government, they're not like, they're not the primary antagonist. It's not some sort of fascist group that's, that they're opposing them, right? I don't know. It's, yeah, it does have sort of a lighter tone to it. Sure. That's one of the things that sets it aside, I think. It's interesting 
this refreshing direction has come from the mind of a, a teenager basically <laughs> luke Besson starts writing this at a very young age and continues to write on it throughout years and years of work and maybe it's the teenage boy in me still to this day but i'm sitting there going like this is so many things of what i like it is funny it is exciting it is also like you said chris it's creating an interesting world like it's world building this thing was going to be a trilogy and i gotta say basan had to condense it all into one movie but i was left seriously wanting more i wanted a sixth and seventh element to come in in sequels <laughs> that's interesting i didn't realize that it was originally as targeted as a as a trilogy i would have been game i mean I'm, i usually am I would have loved to have seen how this could have been longer, but at the same time, you know, this you you get it the other way around. You get a trilogy, and you're like, wow, you very succinctly made this into one film. So looking at the other direction, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, man, they did a really good job of not making any of this feel really rushed. So I'm I'm curious what what could have been in there. Yeah, I just got done saying that the Hunger Games, last movie that I saw, part one and part two, Mockingjay. Don't do that. Don't don't split the last movie. So this is like you said, this is the opposite. It is hard to argue with the results here for me. So uh, maybe my leave them wanting more is a good thing. Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking if this was made today and had the sort of commercial success that it did, it would certainly have sequels, right? We would have gotten the, mm, the sixth yeah. and seventh elements. And maybe even we got into another, you know, by the time we get back to the fifth sequel, who knows, we get back to the fifth element. But yeah, and maybe a prequel to throw in there too, as they like to do. Just when they lose <laughs> yeah. their like when they lose their momentum and they say, Ooh, we've gone we've extracted this well and they're like, No, we haven't. What do you mean? Prequel, baby. <laughs> yeah. Now we need a grim dark Corbin Dallas. It would have to go like this. It'd be fifth element, sixth element, seventh element, eighth element, second fifth element. <laughs> four what about four that's what I mean, like fourth element. No, no, but you gotta it's gotta make fun of itself a little bit, so you gotta go with the second fifth element yeah well the prequel though is it's clearly going to be the special forces history of, of corbin dallas right oh it has, it has to. to i just think that the one of the things that we've also got here is we have this hero it's interesting he and the main villain they'd ever meet they don't end up in a traditional face-off there's no main corbin and zorg don't really even directly communicate with each other. I mean, Zorg has the company who actually ends up laying Corbin off as a, as a cab driver, which kind of pushes him back into his special forces past. But this is unconventional and so many levels. And again, the role of the baddie and the goodie and how they debatably move in parallel with each other. Do you like this, Chris? Oh no, I loved it. That's actually one of the notes I had is that there's you know, there's no there's no fist fight between Bruce Willis and, and Gary Oldman, right? That would have to happen, right? And 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 does in so many of these archetypal movies, right? It has to be come down to a fist fight between the two of them. And and here we just have them, you know, following their paths and the antagonist is defeated and the protagonist wins, but they never actually see each other. Yeah, I love it. It's incredibly unique. And I think there's all these moving pieces, too. You have the aliens who are trying to protect us. You have the alien race who's kind of your baddies who are like mercenary types. You have Zorg. I do think he gives a whole spiel about creative destruction and wanting to destroy. I don't know that I buy it. I, I at times do sit there and say, if you really dive into it, like you said, Chris, if you pick it apart, I'm not sure his motives are solid. But this is the movie where it's fun enough where you don't really 
ask yourself to stop and pick that apart. So yeah, you're just here to have fun. The the, the whole that's the broken windows economic theory doesn't really work, and we've known that for a couple hundred years now. And I figure they'd know that 300 years from now, but you know, it's fine. It's just fun. I remember hearing that even the, upon the first viewing, sitting there going like. That doesn't sound right. I mean, because if you just don't break stuff, then you have all your resources from everybody else to do something else with. And I just don't, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. Who does his hair anyway? So I kept, well, I kept needing an explanation for what that plastic thing is. Yes. Guys, so, uh, this is, this is 23rd century Stark. Uh, I don't know if I give him that much credit. You know, I think, I think maybe he's put into his place by the, by the shadow is he is no 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 no. i'm saying like he's the gun maker oh yeah he's at least he's at least what's what's a guy's name he's got hammer tech yeah he's hammer tech i'll give you yeah he's he's hammer tech i think he's been elevated by a deal with the devil as it were he made a deal with the fire planet and uh somehow that's benefited him clearly he knows what it was a pretty cool gun it was oh yeah the gun was cool yeah i would i would definitely enjoy i'm not a gun guy but that just looked you put that many gadgets in anything, I'm going to be interested. Just don't touch the red button. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I thought if there's one thing that should be very universally known across species of aliens, you never touch the red button, man. Red button. Like, I feel like that's, that's duh, you know? This movie has another good button scene early on, too, when the inept mugger is coming to Bruce Willis's door and he doesn't know the safety's on and he's just nervous. Give me the cash. Yeah, that guy is great, by the way. Give me the cash. Yeah, he's he's sitting there trembling. He's like, the safety's not on. You need to hit that yellow button. And like he's like testing him. He's like, go ahead, go ahead, push that button for me. So you know, I don't think I like I said, I've never seen that part that scene before. I, really, I had a blast because I've never <laughs> seen like I'm pretty sure the first part I ever saw this movie was was Mila waking up in the in the test tube. Which, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason why that's when I started watching the movie. But I, that, I don't remember anything before that. So that's, I was going to say that's the scene where you sit down. I will be finishing this movie now. So <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about how the thermal bandages work? I, I don't think they, they don't think I, they do. I think, I think they're they work. working for me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I, I remember thinking it early on watching this movie and it still exists today i'm just like they just shoot them kind of across her and then all of a sudden they're a bodysuit and i'm like are they magnets like how how well they 3d printed uh, now, her you know well, yeah, they, in 1997 yeah, I, I, so I, I, agreeably that they they just made a full human being from a hand i get it it's a supreme it's a being thing. yeah it, it, it's a weird thing to get hung up on with the thermal bandages but I was, it's like they said, shoot a blanket, but then the blanket became like a onesie. And I was like, how did that happen? I don't know. It's just women's clothing, man. It's, you know, some of the things that are horribly uncomfortable, like the high heel, whoever invented that, like that is not ergonomic, but hey, it works. I mean, I don't know why it works. Like you said, basically <laughs> taking duct tape almost and strapping it across your body and hey, great movie piece of wardrobe. It's an iconic. Yeah, I don't want to get dinged for sort of sexism here either, but I'm very pro flight attendants in the 23rd century too. <laughs> yeah, Ruby Ruby Road clearly uh, the Me Too movement hadn't happened for Ruby. So. <laughs> hey, he doesn't want one position; he wants all <laughs> positions. <Yes. laughs> uh, so, 
I actually like the character of the fifth element. It's funny to watch her be a fish out of water. Well, that's where a lot of the humor in this movie comes from. I really enjoy watching her just interacting with this world and coming to see it as we do. I mean, some of it's just, hey, chicken, that's cool. But I mean, you know, when she holds up the multi-pass, like, it's like, Liu does multi-pass, <laughs> like with great pride. Like, I get to use the multi-pass. <laughs> yes, she knows it's a multi-pass. <laughs> yeah. And Bruce Willis is, yeah, yeah we know. <laughs> so there's a, there's so many little things in here that are funny. Ian Holmes' portrayal of a monk, which is not, you know, a venerable character in some being a source of humor in this. I got to say, one of the things that I love about this movie is it hits the balance of humor and action so well. I don't necessarily laugh out loud constantly, but I'm grinning. Well, even the action is humorous, right? Yeah, it's not taking itself seriously in the action parts either. It's still funny. You're right. I mean, that I love the scene where Mila is fighting uh, and beating up on this pack of these uh, mercenary green aliens and stuff like that. She literally takes like a three stooge, like swipes back, like like I mean, she doesn't she yeah. doesn't like go like oh, a wise guy, but like there's another scene where she's got like another alien in her hand. She's about to hit him. She just pauses and she reaches behind her and punches somebody she can't possibly even see, and then punches forward so on the back punch. So I mean, you're right, Chris. The choreography for the fights, it's very funny. In fact. I enjoyed it so much I could have dealt with it. Perhaps this is what I want more from the sequels. Like, I leave this movie, particularly after a rewatch, going, this only could have happened at the like this little part of the 90s because science fiction movies changed directly from here. But even at the time, I think I texted Fry one day. I was like, where are the other movies like this? I needed more like this. Yeah, it's the only thing that I can think of that's like it is the Starship Troopers. And it's still different in, in significant ways. It's, it's more tongue-in-cheek, less direct humor. I still believe that both movies do put a satirical view on large topics. It was much more targeted at government in Starship Troopers than it is in this. But this is a very small box genre. I think one of the things that we all probably have to mention is it's a pretty weighty cast. I mean, it's interesting. We just mentioned Gene Reno. Jean Reno, actually was an original choice to be Corbin Dallas, but I'm going to ask where on the Bruce Willis ladder do you put this? I, I have this probably just under Die Hard, my second favorite Bruce Willis performance. Is that too much? Uh, uh, I, I, Pulp yes. Fiction, probably above this for me. Um, I don't. He doesn't have a huge role there, but... Well, I, I guess if you're going to go, let's go with leading role. Like he was a lead for Pulp Fiction, but that could be some, about nine people. Yeah. And you can pretty much ignore most of his cinematography after 2010. (laughs) So. Looper's after that, right? Gosh. I mean, Whole Nine Yards was excellent. He's great in that. That's true. I got to give hats off to um, Sixth Sense. Yeah, that's what I was bringing. Sixth Sense is another one. Mm, And he had a couple. I know you're not an 80s movie fan, but he had some 80s, early 90s action films like last boy scout and what was the one that happens in pittsburgh with um sex in the city striking distance yeah striking distance so like i'm not going to put those above this i'm just saying that that he's had such interesting career even armageddon was a good movie say what you want about it bandits bandits was hilarious if you ever get a chance to see bandits with uh, uh bob thornton so like 
he's had, I would say that I wouldn't put this anywhere outside of his top five. Okay. Yeah. Well, Basson approached Bruce Willis and Mel Gibson for the leading roles. Now, Willis expressed interest pretty much right away, even though it was considered a risky move for him. And he had had, he's coming off of two movies that you didn't mention, Hudson Hawk, which actually I've seen previews for. This movie does look pretty interesting to me. And Billy Bathgate. Both were received poorly. They did not do well in the box office. So we've talked about this once or twice with another actor. So there's some points where the right actor just gets the right movie and it reinvigorates their career. And I think this is this for Bruce Willis because he needed a hit and he got one. And I'm just glad Mel Gibson turned it down because I, I don't think Mel Gibson can have fun like this. And I've seen him in Lethal Weapon, but like <laughs> there's fun in going around him. It's not like, I mean... Bruce Wilson looks like he's having fun here. Like he looks like he's got a smile, like kind of on his face as he's doing much of this stuff. And for me, that sets the mood so much throughout this. And I didn't have to be another Fifth element movie, but he's really good with Chris Tucker. Also like their dynamic is very yeah. good. It, it is. And it's not something that I feel like should have worked. You know what I mean? Do you ever watch like a duo and you're like, that shouldn't have worked and it did and that makes it like even more impressive i agree what are some casting moments here that stand out to you so we haven't talked at all about uh, chris tucker's ruby road but i mean i love his performance in this movie it is like the highlight for me by far and and now looking back i mean it's it's modern day streamers right this is an instagram person instead of the instead of the long microphone it's a selfie stick walking around streaming their their life you know two hours every day it's exactly what it is and it's 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 prescient and hilarious. Yeah, that Razzie nomination is horrible. I didn't know about it ahead of time, by the way. I'm not sure if I've ever disagreed with a Razzie more than Chris Tucker in Fifth Element. Yeah, that's awful. He, he was nominated. He did not win. Thank goodness somebody came in. I don't know who it was. I didn't do all that. I didn't go that deep, but somebody beat him out for it. Thank goodness. So Willis was had very easily. You know, he came to New York. He read the script, and in about two hours, he said, I'll do it. That just seems very Bruce Willis to casually just be like, I'll do this awesome movie for you. Yes. So perhaps more selectively, Mila Jovovich beat out 200 to 300 women who auditioned for the role of Lilu. Chris, why is she, you know, as they have kept saying over and over again, she's perfect. <laughs> I, you know, I looked up a little bit after I watched the movie and it said that, you know, she came in and I think she just had fun with it. Uh, maybe that's, you know, she didn't take herself too seriously. I saw that she like learned the entire language of 400 words that, you know, of the, as they call it, the Holy speak. Well, she, the... she, yeah, she, she helped create it. So the, yeah. The, yeah. And, and they got to a point where she, she was fluent in it with the guy. I don't remember his position within the movie, but I think with it's the, the guy who, yeah. With the guy who started it, that they were having like full conversations in it by the movie. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I say like the, this movie has depths that just have to probe. Yeah. Like it, it becomes more more Easter egg than it is a, a topical piece. And and that's really like blew me away about this is once you really start reading into it and seeing some of the the, the nuances to it that you may not get just on a casual watch. That's what makes this truly excellent science fiction because you have that in a lot of truly excellent fiction. And I think she's well adept at doing that because it's my understanding she's fluent in four different languages, like real languages. Yes. And, and so when you have to create your own language, just being so skilled as a, you know, speaking through all these different languages, it's just got to help you. 
I wouldn't have been shocked if you told me this was some kind of tribal language that they had dug up and just used. But it felt it felt legit. So, but it was also done. You know, she's acting again. I think that I don't know how she could ever be called a bad actress on this one because I think again she's doing things that are very funny. You don't understand anything she's saying for the first quarter of the movie, so you have to you have to see what she's doing. I think the acting's really good because it's funny. But also you do kind of sympathize with her. It's like, I mean, she has to be, she, she's adding them back to the cab. And I didn't realize it until I was watching this time. I thought she just was sad and she said, please help. And I was like, oh, she's looking at like a ad. She's just, she's tapping into, this will pull at his heartstrings. Please help. I was like, oh. Yes. <laughs> she's smart. This isn't even necessarily being pitiful. She just knows what she needs to do to get him to drive the cab for her. And it works. So, uh, even with one point on his license, I still am unclear on how the points work. Uh, oh yeah, he <laughs> all. <laughs> no, that's 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 also an excellent. And do you realize how many times Bruce Willis breaks something in this movie? Like he rips the little AI thing telling him about the points off his license. Then he's in his apartment when they're telling him about the thing, and he pulls the light off the wall. He's jacked. Like he's 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 breaking like real fixed on stuff, a lot. Well, he's a former special forces. He's basically a retired Jason Bourne who just wants to quit and drive his cab. Drive it. Yeah. Drive a cab for a finger. Which, by the way, Chris, I don't know if you got enough car action in this movie, but I found myself wanting to fly around in South Brooklyn in a, in a level of crazy taxi, delivering people left and right all over this town yes <laughs> you've got eight crazy minutes <laughs> yes i liked south brooklyn so much and i like this notion of driving on all these different tiers with flying cars i feel like george lucas might have borrowed some of this for his coruscant version when he later did this in the prequels the the animatronics that they used for the alien masks were recycled for phantom menace really yeah That's... yeah so did you guys, but since we're on cast real quick, did you guys see all of the little pieces about who the characters base their character off of? No. So Gary Oldman said that he plays Zorg as a cross between Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny. That's <laughs> hilarious. And that's pretty funny. The second one was Ruby Rod was supposed to be a mixture between Prince and Michael Jackson. I see that totally. That, that, that's, that tracks. So yeah, I but the Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny, like I love Garyman, like I truly do. He's one of those people that I target movies on purpose all the time, and <laughs> I could see him saying that. And I'm just British, so it's like you have to be you know, somewhat from Ross Perot and obviously Bugs Bunny to make that that happen. But what a wonderful way to go about acting in a movie. Like what what what's your plan, Gary? Well, I'm thinking. A mere politician meets Bugs Bunny. It's, oh, okay. <laughs> I just let's go. When we covered uh, True Romance, I remember uh, Tony Scott asked him, "Like, I want you to do this," and like Gary Oldman just like, "No, nah, I'm not doing that. I've got something better for you." And like he came in with the dreadlocks and doing this like white Rasta kind of get up. So um, I think Gary's known for these big bold decisions and putting things together in a way that's just magic. I am sad in seeing that Gary Oldman. Just said he was a, such a good friend of Luke Besson, he took this part without really reading the script. And in doing this movie to repay him for, you know, financing one of his other movies, Nil by the Mouth, which is a 97 movie as well. And he was asked in an interview, 
if he likes this movie, he says, oh, no, I can't bear it. And, you know, that's sad. He said it was singing for my supper because Luke had come in and partly financed my film. He doesn't love this performance here. And that crushes me because he's so good at it. Well, I, I, I think I fall into one of those categories that you can. It's the it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's the I think this is ridiculous, but I'm going to sacrifice any of what makes me me you know and do less than i you know than the movie deserves so i think that you can love a movie that the actor didn't necessarily love or love a performance that the actor didn't necessarily love and and it's still to their credit that's a very good comparison we just covered that in our 200th episode and you're right alec guinness did make me sad by reading some of the things it's like but you're obi-wan kenobi that's awesome <laughs> so same thing i would say like gary oldman I probably came to identify him as a name a little bit later. This is one of those movies that started to put him like, I was like, oh, that guy who did that, the guy who did that started to connect names. So Gary Oldman's awesome, but this is, this is my top five Gary Oldman performances easily. It's just so distinct. Oh yeah. He has what it takes on this one. I gotta say there is a slew of small, when we get to the hidden gym, it's really hard. This movie has tons Tons of little, really wonderful people that just get laughs and just nail all those small parts throughout this movie. We're talking 20th build actors might be contributing to stuff. I mean, like the grumpy cop who gets a Coke spilled in his lap. I mean, he gets a good laugh out of me. The, the guy, like, again, the guy's trying to mug Bruce Willis, uh, you know, the flight attendant who, you know, is melting over Ruby Road. I mean, there's funny people throughout this whole movie. Like Chris talked about the action's funny. Everybody is contributing not not everybody but a lot of people are contributing to these like small moments of humor they're all in on it i don't think anybody breaks away from it either like the the tenor of the humor stays the same throughout the film like someone didn't get the memo on what kind of movie they're making (laughs) that's right i guess the diva's not she's got a death scene that's all she's got to go off of but i don't know i mean she got to be present for the really really like incapable security guard welcoming her in and he's so stunned by how tall she is he's like and and we need a tall (laughs) (laughs) that's another one of those great guys yeah absolutely presumably you've done this once or twice given that on a very high class spaceship cruise ship but nope, she's a she's a, a squid-headed person. You're just like tall, <laughs> tall, tall. That's reminding me of the Deuce Bigelow character whose head is off the screen. You know, <laughs> mm. that's a huge lady. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Besides writing this, I have to admit. He doesn't capture this magic again to me quite in his career again. I don't know how you, you maybe you, maybe the professional, Leon the professional is there for you, but Lucy and some of these other movies that he does, it's, maybe this is just because he worked on this for years and years and years of his life to build up to this, but I don't think he ever captures this magic again. Do you? No, I don't think so. I was looking through the list of other things he directed and it's, yeah. I've seen Lucy. I haven't seen a lot of these things, but Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets has been free on Prime for forever, and I still haven't watched it because I just look. It don't. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah, don't watch it. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. 
he he is truly a, a tale of two careers for me. Nikita, which was the movie that, that got me into further installments of that story arc, uh, The Professional and The Messenger were all excellent, along with this one. But, I mean, I literally have in my notes, it's like, oh, this guy did this and this, which were great, but recent trash, Valerian and Lucy. Yeah. So there's a six year gap also. Like he goes away for six years after he does The Messenger, which is another Mila Jovovich movie where she's the lead in that. But six year gap. That's unusual too. Russell's determined to get it right by repetition. Like I feel like Chris and I have like intentionally stepped back and let Russell say her name. Yep. Just so he could get his reps in. Yep. It's not it's not easy. You, you gotta replace how many years, you know, thirty seven, thirty six years of reps <laughs> of the the wrong way. In one night, <laughs> it's true. I mean, <laughs> I before we hit record, we did a we did a YouTube check, and I was like, I knew it. I knew I've not been saying this name correctly, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I haven't been. So, if all else fails, just be like, it's the pretty lady, <laughs> orange, orange. Bruce Willis spoke favorably, you know, in an interview. Of, this was a fun movie to make, and it shows Chris Tucker and, and Mila also spoke favorably about their experiences of making the movie and working with Basan. And it sounds like this was just a amazing situation. Uh, Milo clearly again worked with him in her next movie. And she said, this is an amazing first really amazing director I've worked with, which I've not gone back to check out the filmography on her exactly, but undoubtedly that's a slight to anybody you've worked with before. <laughs> so it sounds like everybody's really clicking and working together here. And again, Oldman likes Basson too, even though he's not loving the role that he's in. The chemistry is showing through is what I'm getting at. Everybody looks like they're having fun. I think Ian Holm is having fun. I think Bruce Willis, those smiles are genuine. Uh, if you look at his later work, he could maybe be told that he could be sleepwalking through some of these roles a little bit. I can see it. This was a high budget movie. I also found it interesting how he was able to get so much finance to do this. It's not a Hollywood film. He got American actors. Yes. But this is an ambitious movie. This thing is made overseas. It's kind of an anomaly for getting all this money to do all this with. Does it feel like one, like are these big expensive blockbusters? Cause we talked about it looking a little bit different, but I sense that it spent its money differently somehow. Yeah. Well, it's, there's clearly, you know, a lot of costuming, right? Really, really good costuming they spent on. And, and then some of, there's some special effects, but that's not what the bread and butter. Yeah. It wasn't made to be a visually spectacular movie, right? The special effects are, are in support of the mood of the movie, right? So, you know, even though maybe, you know, the, the alien costumes look a little bit ridiculous, that's part of the point, right? I would agree with that. I think one of the things that's aging well is that it's CGI from 97, which is a dicey time for CGI. We even just pointed out like Star Wars. If you look at the Phantom Menace, it was huge advancement for CGI at the time. So anything prior to the Phantom Menace was rough, really rough. I got to say, this movie didn't feel rough. And I think to some degree, Chris, what you're saying of it wasn't made to be real, real, real where you like look at people rendered in polar expression, just like, this is weird. Just doesn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> None of these people feel right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, there's something fun about it. And it's not a full out cartoon, but it's one, one step towards that. Yeah. I read that they actually used cartoonists to draw some of the backgrounds, which, you know, makes, makes sense. Right. When you watch the movie, it's got a little bit of that, that lean toward, towards it. I only hope somebody from Futurama got involved because I would love that. I don't remember if it were if it was or not, but I remember making a comment well 
you know, this is probably in the early 2000s after watching this at one point, and I said that being a big Blade Runner enthusiast, it's like watching Blade Runner with the lights on. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a more prosperous future than, than what we see in Blade Runner. It's not quite as dystopian. No, it's yeah. not dystopian. Well, not, not quite... <laughs> But you could see like an underlying, there's an underlying grit to it. It's just people aren't quite so unhappy about it. Like everyone seems like I, I love the Chinese food guy. He's good. Yep. One of my favorite parts of the movie. And he's like, you know, your luck's going to change. And he goes, I bet you lunch. And he's like, okay, you are fired. Like <laughs> just is <laughs> great. Like it, like that was that was thing that it, people just seemed happier about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, every, negative things were happening. Bruce Willis had had a profoundly terrible day at that night, so I'm completely behind him by going home and ordering Chinese food because that's exactly what I would have done. Brian loves Chinese food for the listeners. Everything that happened in that now I've ever had a beautiful redheaded supreme being fall into my taxi cab, my flying taxi cab before. But, I mean, he had a bad day. He got shot at a lot. Yeah. I feel like there's two comments I can make on it. One, it's like watching Blade Runner with lights on. Or, it was after he took evasive action and dove into the smog bank that they entered the Blade Runner world. Brian, you don't have, you don't have to explain yourself. If a blint boat just flew up to your house on your second floor of your house and you opened up the door and a warm-hearted chef made you fresh Chinese food and handed it to you and had a conversation with you... This just sounds like, you know, this is Brian's cloud nine. It's true. If I, if I had a good day, I would still do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would still be game. I would still be game. And good advice, too. Don't forget the advice. Lunch and advice. Yeah. Yep. We, we should only hope that we could have interpersonal that with our service industry folks at, at that level. I hope they're still tipping. He should big tip for that. He should. He should. Most of the shots of Gary Oldman have a circle in or around his head in like kind of a halo type mode, whereas Bruce Willis, on the other hand, is framed by rectangular elements in the doorway. These are subtle things, but I like it when directors make decisions and do things like that. It, it really makes it rich when you start to watch it, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 times or whatever. You know, I don't know what fraction of times you've watched on TNT where before these things start to compound, but when a director makes a decision, that's that's a cool thing to do. And then the number five also pops up at a lot of points. You know, Zorg stops the bomb with five seconds on it, and there are five elements, obviously, and Corbin Dallas has five points on his car. I mean, there's a lot of fives in this movie. And numerology is not always my thing that I catch on to, but it's throughout this movie for sure. It shows an attention to detail, like Brian was talking about before. Like if it's on the surface, just popcorn flick and fun, but there's just such a depth to it that you can dig into and have fun with too. Do we need cyborgs in this world? I'm going to ask because we have aliens and we have people and some of the policemen like have robotic elements on their suits and stuff like that. But do we need droids? Not just sweeping up droids, but like, it's like, yeah, we had to clean up droids. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, do we need C-3PO and, like, walking around talking to people? Droids. I, I, I kind of want to know what the little mini elephant thing was. It was cute, <laughs> but also very ineffective when you're choking on something. <laughs> that, that was excellent rubbing salt on the wound and being like, mm, that won't help you. 
Russ, I tell you, man, if I were choking right now and I was looking at a dog for help, he would not do much for me either. <laughs> He'd come up and lick my face a couple times and go back to sleep. I really like it when the, uh, you know, a lot of trouble could have been saved had the priest not knocked the peanut out of his mouth. Uh, yeah, but, sure. Uh, like, but he did just get done with a spiel of like, I'm trying to save life and you're trying to destroy it. So it is very much, it is very much in tune with what they're doing right there. He'll, he's willing to even save his enemy. You know, there's compassion there, which is, that was a great moment between the two of them after he gave his bad economic spiel. So. Well, maybe that's what, what the movie or what the franchise needed wasn't a prequel of Corbin Dallas, but call it like bad priest. And it's just the the up the ups downs of Ian Holmes' career as a priest that led to that point where they're like, we can't actually let. You. I'd say what we're gonna give you this archaic key and you know, for some questionable prophecy about five thousand years evil returning. You can do that, but please don't don't speak to anyone. I gotta say the prophet from back in like the Luke Perry Egypt like excavation days is way better. Mm. Like he's cool under pressure. Like he's like trying to be like, you know, sedate them with the drink, which I, I first time I watched, I thought I was trying to poison them, but now I'm like, nah, he's not going to kill him. He just wants to make them unaware of what's going on. And, and that guy is dealing with a much higher pressure situation at the moment. And he's cool under pressure and Ian Holmes kind of nervous. And then I noticed David, the next, next in lines, even more anxious and like you know super nervous and you know and paralyzed by his own fears and you can almost read it on his face like i didn't sign up for this i just wanted to do record keeping <laughs> i i i 100 percent think he was to kill him he's trying to kill uh, yeah well he does kill him at the end doesn't he no the monk in the beginning i don't think so this 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 order seems too committed to not destroying life i i don't think so i think that was going to just knock him out to sleep yeah, but if it knocked him out, they'd pick up with their work where they left off. Well, he just needed them to go to sleep while the aliens came in and did their thing. So if they kept digging and stuff right, like that. Right, but, but he right. But he was trying to, to knock him out before they didn't know the aliens were going to show up. Hmm. I would think that he would. They've been, they've been waiting 5,000 years for this. He must know that they were coming. Well, they no, came no, early. They, uh, came oh, just no. to get the stones. He had no idea they were going to be there. Making me look at this a little bit differently, Fry, but it, okay. 100%, I think he's trying to kill him. Bad Monk. Bad Monk. There, there's your prequel. Yeah, Bad Monk. I'm telling you, Bad Monk. Again, we, let's talk about some of the more special effects here. What are some of the other things in the Little Bitch things that you did? Obviously, there's a lot of gunfighting in this movie, and there's explosions, and there's different wild sets. They made some big, bold decisions with the sets. Chris, they spent a ton of money here. What are some of the things that it really paid high dividends for you it's the sets for me right it's you got you hit it right on the, the nail there you know the spaceship the sets in the spaceships the the zorg tower right the you know the even just the apartment right the the endlessly reconfigurable apartment all the locations are just are really rich and and imaginative right they're not just uh and i want to bag on star wars but just metal walls with whoosh doors right yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's fair. i mean i, I you can get a lot of mileage out of those from for me, but yes, you're right. <laughs> the monk's apartment was really actually very cool. I don't know if it was an apartment or a monastery. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, chicken. Weddings are the next floor down. She's not my bride. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the, just the idea that there's this 
an apartment building somewhere. It's like, all right, so uh, um, relationship advice is 4A. We've got weddings on 4E. We've <laughs> just... Baptisms on 9, yeah. See, that's what makes me think that they kind of shunt him to this like kind of side thing. It's like, we don't need you talking to people <laughs> about about anything. <laughs> it's kind of like how the X-Files, they're trying to take Mulder and like shove him in the basement, thinking they're giving him right. insignificant cases, but he's actually doing something important. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a great segue for that. Yes. 100%. The tenor of this movie is a little bit different than X-Files, but yes, I, I see what you're doing. They're, they're moldering him. Hey, listen, X-Files at least was good for one episode per season. That Silly and hilarious. True. And hey, hey, uh, we have our we have our red-headed uh, companion who's highly capable and very good to walk through. <laughs> this is X-Files right there. You've just discovered it. Way, way to go. We never, yep. we never noticed it. <laughs> and the tents. <laughs> Well, I did a quick look, and outside of a whole bunch of one-episode V-rolls, Lilu Dow only had Cuffs and Chapman, besides a part in Dazed and Confused before Fifth Element. Ooh, now that's not a bad movie. That's interesting. I don't know what her part in part in that was. Like, what you know? I remember it. I mean, I had already seen Fifth Element, so she was on my radar. Had I seen it first, I might not have been like, hey, there's that person. On the other hand, she's pretty striking. <laughs> if you look at the movies she's really gone on after Fifth Element with, you know, the likes of Resident Evil franchise, Ultraviolet, Ultraviolet Four Kind, Stone, Three Musketeers, mm. which is god awful let's strike that one from her record but i'm just saying look at where like she hellboy like she likes this kind of thing like she does not have another dazed and confused-esque zoolander zoolander well, yeah zoolander. she's, she's yeah, great zoolander. she's really good in yeah, zoolander. zoolander i actually want to say that's what i was going to say though brian she's fun at like being funny she should have done it more because when she's just being like a total you know bad chick kind of you know like kicking butt she, she oh she, i love that she, she does it well there's no doubt about that but i want to say some of those action movies some of those 12 resident evil movies at some point don't they become disposable at some point and i think one of the things that we like so much on here is like how again it's it's this fish out of water thing it's really fun to watch her do I'm like counting right now, trying to figure out what the fifth Resident Evil movie. That's was. exactly. I was like, none of us went back to one. So, well, no, I'm serious because it's true. I I've never not enjoyed a Resident Evil movie. Like you can say what you want about quality, but I've never been like, oh, this is where it went left. On. <laughs> okay, well that's that. <laughs> well, if we're gauging off of that scale, then there's a lot of movies in this world that are really amazing movies. <laughs> <laughs> i i just like i like to put symmetry into our programming where we continuously harp on like the same couple things so well hey here's a, here's a 007 callback this is filmed at pinewood studios where they do the 007 filming and this has the largest indoor explosion ever done and they had a hard time putting the fire out when they blew it up and if you're not familiar with this this is in the movie where corbin throws a bomb up on the underside of the ledge and a large bomb goes off on a balcony in kind of this you know ritzy symphony hall 
inside the uh, cruise liner. I got to say, I wouldn't have necessarily thought to myself that's the biggest indoor explosion. I would actually say it's had the opposite effect. I just said, oh, more things are being blown up outside that look inside than I realized. I guess they actually blew up the set, right? (laughs) I have seen some clips of behind the scenes with them trying to put it out. It did look like it was getting out of control. Um, I love it when that like semi-celebrity guy that they point out or whatever, like the, uh, the guy with the really like Mozart wig kind of thing, the burned out guys like slide me the gun, slide me the gun. Yeah. And he just rolls him some balls. <laughs> so he's like, thanks. <laughs> Who was that? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, did you say it was a football player or, or maybe that's somebody else they were introducing beforehand. I don't know, male Paris Hilton of the day. I don't know. He's just, he's famous, but I don't know why. The only line I really remember from there is nothing more sinister than ministers. We were talking about hair. Mila Jovovich's hair is really, really orange, and she actually dyed it. But unfortunately, her hair was becoming so damaged and brittle and kind of falling apart. Unfortunately, they ended up switching to a brightly colored wig. And I sometimes have, I, I don't I'm not, I have the keenest wig dar, but I do tend to notice this sometimes. I don't notice it here as much. I can't tell when the wig is inserted into things. If you have goals to turn your hair this color, it will damage your hair, apparently, if you want to keep it vibrant and orange and not looking all faded out. Cautionary tale. I do feel that, like, the weekend and maybe six people in the NBA have to thank Ruby Roth for this hairstyle. (laughs) (laughs) Man, can we talk about Ruby's wardrobe? Everything he wears is wild, man. It's like androgynous. It's like skin tight, like the leopard print, the, the, like, I don't know. There's like this opera dress almost that he's wearing for it, for lack of a better word, with like uh, roses all over it. The more preposterous it is, the better it gets with him because Chris Tucker is just so exaggerated. I feel like the wardrobe people must have had a fun time dealing with his long skinny frame and just having a great time. Just you can't go big enough with Chris Tucker. You can't no matter what you put on. him. I, I think that would truly be one of the most fun parts to play in a movie. If someone just came up to me and said, I want you to be the most ridiculous person you can be in this. Film, that's taking the puffs off. It's like, let's go. Let's see where we can go with this. Let's see if we can take this part. And I think that's what made the Razzie nod so egregious to me, is you could tell that it was a very targeted obscenity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and under that, like, that's that's acceptable. That's not someone overplaying a part. That's someone being, being directed at being crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's a male diva. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing dismissal. What kind of green? <laughs> That's not green. Super green. <laughs> Chris, I like the Mangalores a lot. You mentioned some of the wardrobe and like makeup moments in this. Other than Gary Oldman's plastic helmet, is there anything that's not aging well on this one? And I'm sorry, I just get stuck on that plastic thing i just don't know it's never explained what it is nobody else has them i'm confused very confused with that it's a fashion choice i mean i'm down with the plastic i don't i think that age is just fine you know i could see that being a thing (laughs) i I don't know i I mean in terms of the wardrobe not aging well i i don't i i just i mean i i love it i I don't know it's like like i said 
you could criticize for some of the things for not looking quite right or looking kind of stiff, right, in the in the alien thing. But that's that's just the the movie that it is, right? No, it's not intended to. I mean, Jar Jar Banks looks really fluid, right? <laughs> I, is is that a good alien costume? I, I guess, but it probably, yeah. probably would have been better had it been a costume. I'll, I'll take the Mangalores. The Mangalores look good because they're costumes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they used goggles to make them more cheap, dealing with all their eyes and stuff like that when the adhesive around them was difficult. So even the face shift, like where he's like, that face doesn't suit you. And like the CGI head shape, <laughs> like it's really animated. It, it, it works for me. And I love it when people keep walking up to the booth and keep saying they're, they're Corbin Dallas. <laughs> so David Co- Corbin. Yeah. Dallas. Oh, that's yeah. I am Corbin Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So four people come up in the course of 10 minutes saying they're Corbin Dallas. And I like I love the alien couple who are shape shifted to try and fake their way in. <laughs> like the guy looks like he's getting ill at holding his shape. Yeah. The, the final guy goes up and you know he bangs the thing and the guns come down. It's like I was just waiting for the siren to go off. It says you know angry black man, angry black man. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so smooth and I love the part though with the Gary Oldman where he says, "Why or not? What an ugly face! Take it off." Never be ashamed who you are. <laughs> he almost has like a southern gentility thing oh, yeah. going on that I don't quite understand either. And it's 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 such a we like it's such a person that it works so well. Yeah. And hey, we've talked about this before. Eighty five workers, five months to build the models used for this movie. There are a ton of miniatures still being used at this point in movie history. That's about to leave and they're blending in the CGI with it. And that mixing, we saw this in Jurassic Park. This works well. Instead of just saying, here's CGI, here it is in 1997, and you're like, ugh. It all looks matte and, yeah, flat. Yeah. They're yeah. mixing They're mixing techniques between the practical and the CGI. And at this point in history, that's 100% the way to do that. I'm aware that you can, do, you can fully computerize it now. We're just entering the transitional time in the 90s where I really appreciate that they had held on to that. Because the movies that aren't, or the movies that are, I hate to say this, the movies that think that they're being ambitious and going forward are the ones that I think hold great regrets. I'm looking at you, Blade, too. (laughs) I can see that. Even the windows have reflections in the cars and stuff like that. And that was really difficult, like the bending reflections and everything like that, so... They even put little cute little license plates on there that were never visible in the movie. Uh, there was like a slogan on the license plates and it says, New York, the F.U. state. Yeah. At least they can be honest in the 23rd century. I just got a shout out to Nick Dudman. He had a team of 55 workers to create new creatures for the movie. They're awesome. The makeup department that they did this is just so great. So he's an Academy Award winner. He did makeup for Joker, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, The Mummy, Mummy Returns. Batman Begins. This guy makes everything he touches just great. It's really cool to see. He trained under Stuart Freeborn, who did Empire Strikes Back. He was a trainee working on Jedi Master Yoda and, you know, doing stuff from the get-go. So Nick Dudman, these are names you don't think about often, but he's a big force in this world that everything has been created here and the long spindly nose garbage collectors and all that stuff that come out, like you talked about, like the little weird creature that comes up when he's choking. And it's great stuff. I, I have too many superlatives to give away, so I just have to call them out here in the special effects because there's too much other good stuff to call out. 
music chris what do you think about the funky music that we've got here well one of the most memorable things about this movie for me was the opera scene right with the with the singer and the core and the choreography right to the fight yeah i i really enjoyed that part of the music and then it's just it doesn't come out a lot like it's not like the the music's not out in front i noticed when i was watching it but but it definitely again the whole the whole movie is built towards this just fun romp fun campy romp Agreed. The diva actress is Luc Besson's fiance at the time when the other actress who was going to play, not the singing portion of it, but just the, uh, like the physical actor in the suit, May Wynn is her name. And so uh, she's lip syncing all this, but there's an actual soprano in Vamula who's actually singing this, but they then take it, they digitize it because no human voice can change notes that fast. What a cool thing to do for an alien to give them range and ability that we don't have and to digitize that. Well, yes. Squid person. Yeah. Squid person. But, but, but was the squid voice person. because they're a squid person or because they've got a bunch of rocks in their stomach, you know, that's a fair point, Chris, who knows what you can do when you have four 12 inch by what you think? Three by three. Yeah. Four that's of them why, in your that's stomach. Why she's tall. You're, you're, yeah, man, this must have been stacked end on end because I don't see that fitting in the stomach. <laughs> That's a good point. But there's some interesting YouTube attempts to recreate this. And there's some very impressive singers who give it their own shot. It's a fun thing to look up. So people replicating the diva song. I got to say, the rest of the music is pretty fun. There's a chase scene while Bruce Willis is trying to evade the cops. And they kind of take this, I believe it's Indian or Arabic kind of music and Something about it is foreign enough to my ears where it feels like this is of the future. There is a levity that's given through some of the other walking around more score type moments and stuff like that. Again, every way you go through this, they made sure you were having fun. And the music is the same as well for me. I don't know if you agree with that, Brian. No, it's definitely interesting. It's fun. It's it's different and it's multicultural. And I think that blend in to make it a very universal sound to make you feel like it's it's a multi-planetary vibe so yeah 100 percent. yeah why don't you say we hand out some superlatives let's go chris who's your mvp of the fifth element it's bruce willis i think he just struck the absolute perfect perfect balance between comedy and playing it straight through through the movie and the exasperated special forces thing in a in a, in a sci-fi romp so i just i really enjoyed his performance here but it was terrible. I think you can. <laughs> what is this? What is it? It's not green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it... act like you have more one word vocabulary. Yeah. But you can see that the movie is supposed to be fun and light and enjoyable. Right. So you could play that role too dour. Right. And just sort of ruin that vibe. Or you could buy into the camp too much. And, and you'd sort of it wouldn't be. I, I, just, I don't know. It wouldn't be as believable as the wrong word, but it wouldn't fit as well. Oh, yeah. They said they wanted Jean Renault first or Mel Gibson. I can't imagine either one of these being in here. So I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. Maybe if you get you get somebody with some humor, maybe more like Will Smith. I don't know. Something like that. That's like that's what it takes. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it'd be Will Smith. Uh, yeah. Whew. That's what I'm saying. Bruce Willis has a gift to be funny and tough. Not everybody possesses yep. that. There are very few who have that good balance, and he's he's pretty good at both. He actually has said before, I'm not a good actor. I just kind of show up and I play who I am on screen. You're too humble, Bruce. I think you're very good at what you do because there aren't many, many people who have that balance to what he does. 
And I do think, like, you could draw some similarities, but there are differences between a diehard Bruce Willis and this Willis. Like, that's, they're, they're, yes, you're still being that tough guy, but the humor in one and the humor in this are, are very different. And, you know, it's, it's different. So, you know, you could say, yeah, maybe pie chart isn't as broad as some others are, but I wouldn't pigeonhole you either. Yeah. Brian, MVP. Oh, goodness. So many people to choose from in this one. Uh, My MVP for this is the feeling of grim flamboyance. So the vibe, the feel, the world we're in, okay? Yep. So the entire time you're in impending danger of universal destruction and you're having a great time. (laughs) So grim flamboyance. Okay, so whoever the art director is for the set design and all that good stuff, so yeah, or possibly Basan. I think it took it took every single person involved with this this vibe to exist. I can show you, and this goes back into what we were talking, where everybody was on board, everyone got the mess correctly. I can tell you, as someone who manages people, how often or almost entirely not everyone gets the message correctly. Everyone was on board here, and that is a very difficult thing to do. I'm going to go with Luke Besson because everything is so good, like you said, Brian. So you've hired all the right people. You've overseen them right. You've communicated this way, and there's a singularity in the vision that's working, and the cast clearly likes working with him. I think in terms of him, like you said, there's a... I don't know why his amazing talents don't continue to shine through later in his career, but he's got it here. And you might have only cranked out, you know, one great album or two great albums, but you know what? Not everybody hits one that good. So I'm going to go to Luke Besson on this one because he is in high form here and it's all working for me. Best supporting. Chris. For me is Gary Oldman's role as Zorg. I, I just love the performance. It was tough. There's a lot of different options, right? It's like, well, you've got the, you got Lilu, right? Mila and Lilu's is, would be a good candidate, but I just like how much he camped it up with the, with the bad guy in this with the delivery of the lines on the economics and the choking scene. And it's just great. How good is that when he opens the box and there are no stones in there? Twice, twice, (laughs) not one, two, not three, but four, four stones. You count, right? (laughs) I like the one where he just opens it up and starts laughing and you think he has them. And then it turns into a cry. It's so good. (laughs) It's hard to even replicate because he's doing it so well. Brian, best supporting. I went with Tucker on this one. I I love me some Gary Oldman. It's true. But I'm going with aspects of this movie that were so irreplaceable. Like, can't imagine anyone else doing Chris Tucker in this. He's awesome in this one. If you look online, there are people who genuinely hate him and are annoyed by him. And I could see where that could happen for you. And this is not your movie, but... I love him, and I'm. I think I'll admit by rush hour two, I was pretty done. But in this movie, it just pops. It's green. It's super green. <laughs> it's 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 green crystal. Whatever he's whatever is his sycophantic, uh, you know, yes men. Where he's like uh, crystal, whatever green you want. I'm going to say to the Razzies, you got this one wrong. I think Millie Jovovich is good. I think she's very funny, and. She kicks butt and 
I think she does this fun fish out of water and this transitioning. She she goes through the most change of anybody in the movie in terms of her performance. So she leaves the movie a little bit too much in the back end for my liking, but she's great. Maybe this is just some of me sitting there going like, she's also a really pretty lady. So um, she is very attractive. You know, they all these keep these lines where they keep like going like, oh, she's perfect. Or like the guy who reanimates her just like, like he's just like, he can't even move. Everybody's always stunned by her. So not just anybody can do that. And she she delivers. So. I do feel it's a it's a little uh, pretentious to assume that the universe's supreme being, perfect form, is human. I mean, these are aliens that brought them here, right? I, I don't know. That's true. The diva just came out there and showed you squid people are pretty amazing. You don't know what's behind that armor, the penguin armor. Presumably, that evil wants to destroy Earth means it's some sort of seat of life. So even though they've grasped on to some sort of biomechanical armor around their corporeal form... Doesn't mean there's not a basically human thing in there. Maybe. Because they reconstructed that giant robot glove that's holding on to part of the case. So what they reconstruct is a human. So I'm thinking that under all of that, in the end, is a human or humanoid in the first place. Oh, okay. I mean, it's a little bit progressive for being a lady, you know, because they did that like as the supreme being. It's a lady. And like Bruce was like, you noticed that, huh? (laughs) I will say, if I'm going to build biomechanical armor, I'm going to make sure I can run in it. You know, after watching that Austin Powers scene at the beginning of the movie where the guy, the door's closing, and he's like, <laughs> it's, it's like the Austin Powers. And the, we made the, a mistake. I know yeah. bad monks like kind of like, yeah, I know. Hurry. Well, well, no, well, I, I've got an answer for that, too. Wherever, you know, their spaceships and their homeworld and whatever they're coming from, I'm sure there's nothing as archaic as a ancient Egyptian tomb door, you know, it, it messing with him, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just cracked up when I was watching that. The door is oh, closing yeah. so slowly, and he's moving even slower. <laughs> this goes to show you how deep the cast is, though, by the way. We all pick different ones, possibly just for the sake of variety, but, I mean, they're all amazing. But none of us even mentioned Ian Holm. Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. As Cornelius, he's so good. I almost wrote something extremely profane and negative from recast, like over my cold dead body esque, but I picked one anyway. Oh yeah, you got to play the game for sure. Hidden Jim, and I mentioned this before. There are amazing people who are no name actors doing small little contributions to this movie that are very enjoyable and tons of little details too because it doesn't have to be a person. Chris, what's your hidden gem? Well, I did take the casting literally. My hidden gem on this was actually the. We already talked about him a little bit, the uh, Thai. I had to look up his name, but the guy who brings the noodles and the, the Chinese to your to your apartment. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Kim? Is that his character's name? Yeah, it's Kim Chan is the actor's name, but the, the, okay. the character's oh. name is Thai. Yeah, I had to look it up because, of course, I don't even think he's named in the movie. But I don't think he is. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they... If he does, it's, it's quick. I want to give a shout out to the voice of Corbin Dallas's mom. So funny. Yeah. So yeah. funny. I even love it when they hand it to the president too. It's like I should never put. I could have just gotten. I know you're not the president because you sound like you're an intelligent person, and that guy's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and the look that, on behalf of yeah. she's great. Great voice work on that one. Brian Hidden Jim is it uh, floating Chinese food guy? Nope. I'm going with Starship Captain Number Two. 
with Al Matthews from Aliens and Tomorrow Never Dies. I saw you in there. What's up, bud? I'm going to go with Brian James as General Monroe. Maybe not that hidden, in fairness. But this guy's acting, physical acting, is really good. His facial reactions of, no, don't put me in the refrigerator. Like, what? You know, there's not room for us. We won't. We can't all fit. And presumably, he kills three three members of like the military's upper echelon. <laughs> yeah, are, are they dead? <laughs> yeah, if you can get reconstituted from a hand, I'm sure you got this. But that's probably not cheap. But he just you know froze. He's definitely in the scenes later too, because the president looks up. He's like, when he walks in, he's like, "We're gonna send somebody in to negotiate. Do you mind if I go in and negotiate?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he walks in without saying anything, just like blast somebody in the head and he's like wonder where you learned to negotiate like that and he looks back at him he's like eh. <laughs> but everything this guy does is great when he's sitting there in disbelief of Lilu becoming reanimated and he sits there and goes like i'm gonna need some pictures for for the archives for the archives for the, ar- <laughs> for the archives. i mean pay attention to all the little things that this guy does He's really funny, and he's really good. He does a, he he does is, a lot. So Brian James is my pick. He's very rarely a good guy, too. I'm not saying he's a good guy per se in this, but he's very often, you know, the the villain henchman something or other, and this is one of the, the, the chances he really had, like, ah, eh, more than just that. I, I, and he nailed it for me. So it's hard not to pick the guy who does a stick-up for Bruce Willis at the beginning. That guy is hilarious, too. Yep. Give me the cash! Give me the cash! (laughs) Did you like it? (laughs) You know, the first several times I used to watch this, I didn't know what was on top of his head was a picture of the hallway. I just thought it was a very strange hat. (laughs) He had. I thought this was an amazing piece of wardrobe. And I didn't give him enough credit. So he's a totally inept mugger. But at (laughs) least he had a clever idea to get through the security camera. I'll give him that. You've been waiting out there long? (laughs) <laughs> i love how also when the gun's taken from him he's like nice hat he's like thanks and then he just starts to nervously dance for no reason like in a little jig i mean ridiculous so recast as brian said it it's gonna be hard this is miserable you can go deeper in the cast if you have to I, sometimes that's the coward's way out and it, i'm known for yeah, see, I didn't want to go the coward's way out. I was like, ah, you got to stick with one of the, main, I the main people. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Yeah. So I did the, the atrocious thing and recast Lilu. I picked Anna Taylor-Joy just for like, or Anna Taylor-Joy for kind of like an alien look. She's got a very, you know, supreme being a, elf kind of face. Yeah, she is. She's interesting. I, I, I think she was probably still sperm when this movie came out, though. Well... Yeah, I didn't know the rules here so much. Just not too, to not, not too bright. She would have been one year old. Oh, excuse me. So Newly minted human. You you can redact that, by the way. <laughs> you, you, you know. <laughs> it's less offensive, I guess, if you sit there and say, it's like, oh, she's just God. over eggs. No, I... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to get you in trouble one of these days. Oh, dude, you get us in trouble again. Oh, no. I feel, I feel like that, too, can be taken really wrong. Okay, please continue. <laughs> no, no. The, that's, I, I struggled with this big time because, like, well, I don't really I don't want to recast. I, I love the Zorg performance, right? Okay. Uh, you know, Gary Oldman and Zorg. Bruce Willis is great. I struggled with uh, maybe I could try to recast the, 
the, you know, the priest, but I, I feel like that was too far down the yeah, cast. Okay, well maybe I did. Oh, I maybe I maybe I did too far. No, that's maybe not. You're 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 a bold decision maker, that Chris, because I I think that's not. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with the. You could you could even recast like Tricky, the right arm guy, like the 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 number two guy who's. Oh well, I'll I'll definitely take it easier way next time yeah, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I got to do a main character, otherwise it's just I'm just copping out. Not every movie deserves to be to run to the tenth build person to replace, but. This one does. So, Brian, how about you? What would you do? I recast David, Charlie Creed Miles' character. And I, I just, I wanted somebody who can do that awkwardly befuddled thing, but can also, you know, maybe be a little bit more recognizable. And I went with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think at, at that point in his career, this wouldn't have been like that down for him. No. Like he was still kind of made for TV kind of stuff. Was he still awkward at this point? Yeah. 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 So I, I feel like this work would have worked really well. And the fact like him now, you know, so much as an actor that if he had also been in this, it would just like catapult him up higher. He hadn't matured to the point where it's just like, oh, that this guy's not a dorky dude anymore. <laughs> like, you know, so yeah. Okay. All right, well, then um, I'm going to go with Tom Lister Jr. as the President Lindbergh. There's nothing wrong with what Tom Lister Jr. does. I, I enjoy his performance, but I kept thinking, what if Carl Weathers does it? Mm. And I think that he would be really fun to watch be the president in this one. And it, if you're wondering where he is in his career at this point, this is one year, right? This would be right after Happy Gilmore, where he plays Chubbs. Excellent. Jeff Gordon-Levitt in 1997 did not have a movie. He was in between The Juror and Sweet Jane, neither of which I have ever heard of. Yeah, so if nothing else, it would have been good for his career. Yeah, yeah, this would have been a good... In fact, uh, it's not Third Rock from the Sun from 97. Well, I guess he was in the middle of Third okay, Rock right makes now. Sense. Yeah, in the sun. So 96. 96. He didn't have any movies at the time, just TV. Mm-hmm. I, by the way... Casting Tom Lister Jr. as the president was progressive. Put a black guy in the role of president in 97. You know, we didn't yeah. have to wait that long into the future, it turns out. But uh, at the same time, he looks like he might have been a football player, too, while he was at it. So You don't want like a, you go with like a Terry Crews, you get the, the idiocracy version of the president in there. <laughs> Just really ham it up. <laughs> Terry Crews is another one of those guys for a tough guy who has good comedic sense. Oh, it's awesome yeah yeah i will watch things because terry cruz is in it yeah. yeah chris best shot the the opening up the garage like to that futuristic new york where he gets in the he gets in the taxi right and it's the garage door opens and then sort of just this expansive shot of this futuristic new york that's bright and fun that's probably my favorite one like a real car guy i like it yeah well it's not the car it's not just the car right it's the whole scene but yeah and brian Best shot. This is going to sound really weird, but there's this point in the very beginning of the movie where we've already talked about it, where the alien is uh, is is trying to make it to the door and ends up giving you away. But the shot that I really liked was as the door sh- closing, they just do this completely unnecessary shot of the coffee cup rattling next to it i just felt like that is the kind of like attention to detail sort of microcosm piece that made this movie great when those aliens are coming in in the beginning it is so good like the way the ship comes down the steam comes out like their spaceships all wet and misty in the desert and stuff and it's 
Like you said, it's gritty. Like, and even the best part of the ship landing is Aziz light, and then they hit the <laughs> giant floodlights, and he goes, "Oh, thank you, Aziz." Like, <laughs> yes, my best shot is going to be when Bruce Willis is watching the diva saying, "There's a moment of like, I'm on a mission, but this is so powerful and so cool to watch that." You know, he stands up with great enthusiasm. And so to do this, they shoot him at a low angle to make the room feel bigger in the moment. And uh, it's just creative camera work to bring that amazing musical moment to life. Best scene, Chris. Yeah, so I really like the, the scene. We, again, talked about it a little bit earlier where the where Zorg's choking and the priest sort of just right away. I mean, he, he, he taunts a little bit, but sticks to his principles of preserving life, right? Otherwise, you know, the, the, the movie ends there to some extent, right? If uh, if he doesn't, would have saved him a lot of trouble. Yeah, sticks to his principles and, and saves his life. And then in return, in this in this optimistic future view of the world, the bad guy in return spares his life. For now. <laughs> For now, but he doesn't. I mean, he he doesn't actively try to kill him at any later point. He so. sets a bomb on the boat that he's on. He doesn't know that he's on that boat though. He's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be. There. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's he's in handcuffs for trying to get in there yeah uh best scene brian we've talked about it a couple times but i just want to hammer this home it's the juxtaposition between the opera scene and then the fight scene that's just one of the coolest parts of this movie no it, it is very cool i think there's some great camera work there too that's where my best shot was but also when lilu's fighting she does like this amazing somersault back and then she kind of calls them on, I guess this is before the Matrix, kind of like how Neo like waves you on. I guess it's a bit of a Bruce Lee thing to do. That's a good shot, too, as she's going her way back out of the room to reset for more fighting. Good camera. It's a fun scene. My best scene is going to be, this, it's, it's just after your scene, Brian. It's when Ruby and Corbin are blasting their way out of this situation it starts off in a very funny way as bruce willis is trying to get the diva out and ruby's holding the gun on on one of the uh mangalars <laughs> and he ends up blasting him and then they that blows their cover yeah and then from that point it's a total shootout sorry <laughs> yeah you think you're gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love the scene where Corbin blasts Ruby through the floor as well. With the body-shaped outline. Yes, yeah. very Looney Tunes. Ah! I, mentioned, I mentioned earlier how he's demanding, he's like, can you slide me the gun? <laughs> and he just looks at him <laughs> blankly. It's all very good stuff here. So I'm having a blast. And given that the scene that Fry mentioned is just prior to this, this is definitely my favorite part of the movie. So Definitely. Best wardrobe or makeup moment. Chris. So the wardrobe or the the wardrobe, it, it was tough for me, but Ruby Rose's Ruby Rod's Roses costume certainly was my favorite. It's you know, this the leopard one with the crazy, you know, tube hairs close second. But but <laughs> but I do like the, the It's hotter than hot. It's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> yeah. I I just like it. it's yeah, it's, it was tough to decide between those two. And and of course you've got the the thermal bandages, but I wasn't sure I could call that an outfit rather than it's just duct tape. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> More on that in a few seconds. Brian, best word ever. Yeah. I am going to go with probably Pava Laguna on this. 
I think that if you can call the costuming or her what it was, uh, it's easily the most unique looking thing in this film and the film full of very unique looking things. So yeah, I, 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 I'm with, uh, I'm, I'm going full squid. All right. I'm going to go with the thermal bandages. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Somebody had to. <laughs> it's one of the sexiest pieces of wardrobe ever made. I mean, and she's got the orange hair to go with it. I mean, it's iconic. It is iconic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you think of this movie, don't tell me you don't think of that. I'm not, I'm not saying that just because it's, it's attractive. It is, but I mean, it's just very cool. Very futuristic too. By the way, orange suspenders that she wears later. I don't know why that works for her so well, but it does. I'm not even sure that those were supposed to be worn like that. <laughs> that's, that's actually a thought I had whenever I was like, I is, really, is that? Yeah. So even when she puts more clothes on later, which it's still like a skimpy midriff, so it's not that conservative either. But God bless the nineties. That is very nineties. Yeah. They don't do it that way anymore. Probably. But she made it work. She's, she's tough. So, um, there's something there for everybody. Um, change one thing, (laughs) change one thing, Chris. Yeah. So I'm not sure at the end of the movie, I was kind of unclear and I'm, you know, I'm kind of a dunce when it comes to these things and I'm just enjoying the show. But if at the end of the movie, the fifth element is supposed to be love rather than the Supreme being, I'm not sure that the, the movie, and this might be a job of, because it was shortened from a trilogy, but there's not a great, a lot of establishing of a relationship between Bruce Willis and Mila Janovich. I, I probably just messed that up. I, I didn't get Russell's training. Yovovich. Yovovich. You know, of establishing a relationship that they love each other. They they kind of literally just met, and then she disappears for a good while towards the end, right after the fight. So, I, you know, I don't know. I just would have found a different way to, to demonstrate an act of love at the end there, if that's what the message was supposed to be. I think that they did a good job showing that he was clearly enamored with her. Oh, yeah. But very little, like, she was just like how people suck. Most <laughs> yeah. of the She's a little bigger than just love, though, because Bassan was saying the fifth element to him is a representation of life, love, art, and all the beauty in the world. And that the fifth element is a symbol of life. So it's not exactly, it's uh-huh. not exactly just okay. love. Does that make it any better for you, Chris? Well, it's again, it doesn't. It's not clear to me at the end exactly what we're going for here, because he says "I love you," and then suddenly there's beam shooting out of her mouth, right? So I... <laughs> that's what happens when you love somebody. Maybe you're not doing it right. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so, um, in fairness to your point, the movie gets real serious and it introduces concepts at the 95 percent mark of the movie. Yeah, that you're not prepared to take on. I think that your comment there might be valid. I'm going to overlook it though. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like the movie. I just said it. it's just sort of, it's just sort of jarring at the end of this, this fun romp that we, we take sort of this serious, more serious sure. note there at the end. And yeah. Brian, change one thing. I don't know if this also has to do with the fact that this should have been longer, but I would have liked at least a little bit better idea. Most of my understanding or what I believe to be my understanding of how these beings came to be was just guesswork. So it, it would have been nice to know, like, are these more evolved humans? You know, even if it was a you know galaxy far, far away, you know, scrolling text at the beginning, I just didn't feel like I ever really knew what was going on with the, the other beings that are protecting us. Okay. I think you might like this next one, Mimi, because this is going to connect a little bit to that. So my change one thing is the ship 
for you know the good aliens as they're re-entering our atmosphere they're taken out by two little gunships and they don't put up much of a fight and if these beings are the protectors of life shouldn't their ship have some more firepower on it like we don't get a good space battle here it's a scathing indictment of the pacifists i get no yeah i guess but i want a space battle so I can't do it if I don't I yeah. don't get what I want if I don't say this. So um, I want blasters and, and gunships and stuff fighting. And yeah, I, I want him to go down swinging. I want to shoot somebody, somebody. Somebody gets a lucky. Yeah. yeah. Somebody gets a lucky shot down the down the exhaust vent and that then it all blows up. Yep. Right. It can only happen <laughs> once. It could certainly not happen again in a sequel movie. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. <laughs> Best quote, Chris. For me, yeah, it's 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 negative. I am a meat popsicle. It's just so far out of yeah. left field, and the cops just roll with it, right? It's just like, all right, who's are you? Are you human? Like negative. I am a meat popsicle. What? This does feel like something a teenage teenager would have written and thought it was absolutely hilarious. And so maybe that's you know, it's just stayed stayed in the script. It's how he identifies. Yeah. There's still a 15 year old Chris Reeve in you just there somewhere and that makes you that makes that 15 year old chris happy so yeah <laughs> all right brian best quote my favorite quote was ad-libbed by willis lady i only speak two languages english bad english i have I've said that to people with no reference to this movie whatsoever and just a smile in the back of my head like thanks bruce <laughs> My best quote is a ensemble or a, a duo quote, I should say, between David and Cornelius as Lilu immediately starts just stripping down in their monastery and they turn around embarrassed and they go, they really make her perfect. Perfect. I yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> their facial reactions with the line is just so, so good. And it's hard not to pick. Nobody picked Lilu Dallas multipass. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most iconic line from the film. We've come full circle, and it's time to give this movie a rating on a five-star scale. Half-star intervals. Chris, what do you give The Fifth Element? For me, it's four and a half stars. It's nearly perfect. It just just kind of skips at the end there, right, as we were talking about. just There's just a little bit of a tone shift and maybe sort of a rushed ending to it. But other than that, I just really love it. All right, Brian, five-star scale. What do you give him The Fifth Element? One of the reasons I'm so frugal with my, my star... Uh, ratings is is so every once in a while I can just really truly nerd out on something that's fantastic so I guess a five star and anybody who wants to talk about it can find us on Facebook Twitter or anywhere so we'll have this discussion well Brian if you want to fight somebody you will have somebody right at your side because I'm giving one star for every element of this movie I'm giving it five <laughs> five stars it is delightful it is i can't tell you how much of a better mood i am when i watch this movie it is one of those things where i'm just sitting there going like why didn't i listen to people who try to tell me about this five years sooner like i wish i could have had this movie in my life sooner because i've loved it so much so i'm excited for sharif he got an extra 15 minutes he's never seen before this watch. Uh, no. i mean yeah when I tell when I tell people at work about a book that I really think is gonna like change their world, and then they come back and they're like, "That's excellent." I always think, "Man, I wish I could be, you know, I, I wish I could be in that position where I'm reading or or seeing something for the first time." And dude, an extra fifteen minutes of this movie—that's that's gold. Yeah, Aziz Light. 
I saw the light of the movie. Z. Yeah. We didn't mention that on quotes. I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's probably the one that I actually quote the most. Like, I don't know why, but for some reason, if I just have low light and I need some light, like if I'm working under a sink on some plumbing or something like that, it's, it comes to my mind. Disease. Light. I don't even know anybody named disease. You know, one day one day my son Grant's going to be doomed to, to have me say that to him, like as he's helping me hold a flashlight for something, like while working on a fuse box or something, he'll be like, Aziz, light. And he'll be like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you'll see. I I. I am going to be so terribly annoying to my daughter one day because she's going to have to watch like 500 movies to keep up with what I'm telling her. You are a quote machine. There's a reason why we finish the shows like, the way we do with it, you just handing obscure quotes away. This was tailor made for you. Yeah. J- Jess actually just gives like warnings people we meet she's like half the things he says are movie quotes you can just ignore that <laughs> there was a funny stand-up comedian who said i dated this one guy and he was just so funny he would just say the funniest things that you just wouldn't imagine but it just turned out i hadn't seen anchorman yet <laughs> hey apparently that was the 60 percent of the time that it worked every time so. <laughs> all right brian you want to help me pick a movie for next time Absolutely. Robin Williams is one of my favorite actors. And let's look at some of the lighter, more fun sides of his performances here. So I've got three options for you. Option one, Jumanji from 1995. When two kids find a, sorry, when two kids find and play a magical board game, they release a man trapped in it for decades and a host of dangers that can only be stopped by finishing the game. Option two, Hook from 1991. When Captain James Hook kidnaps his children, an adult Peter Pan must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. And in option three, Father's Day from 1997, a woman cons two old boyfriends into searching for her runaway son by convincing both of them that they are actually the boy's father. Brian, what will be? I think we gotta go Hook, right? Rufio. 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 Yeah. Rufio. Great choice. And we look forward to that next time. Man, we are hitting the Spielberg hard here in the early show uh, history. Uh, I think he's easily been the director we've visited the most. So let's just keep going into Spielberg town. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. This has been fun, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you, all the lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro and email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And providing and producing this podcast is fun but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Retro Movie Roundtable. All contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? You got that right. See, according to Kato's plan, I'm the enemy because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy who wants to sit in a greasy spoon and think, gee, should I have a T-bone steak? or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with a side order of gravy fries. I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon, butter, and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke a Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in the non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked, covered in green jello, all over my body, reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because suddenly I might feel the urge to.